0: Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, "'Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple.'" For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If... He cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions, this is the word of God, for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As the story goes, there was a hog and a hen sharing the same barnyard, and they heard about the church's uh, feeding program for the hungry. And the hog and the hen discussed how they could help, and they talked it over, and they went and prayed. The hen said, I've got it. We'll provide bacon and eggs for the church to feed the hungry. (laughs) The hog thought and said, there's one problem with that solution. For you, it requires a contribution. For me, it requires total commitment. (laughs) To which Jesus said, none of you can become my disciple if you're not willing to give it all, all of your possessions. This sermon series about kingdom accounting, it has different kinds of metrics, doesn't it? In local church, there are a handful of ways that we can gauge spiritual health and growth and and vitality. We think about professions of faith. We think about baptisms, new members, average worship attendance, uh, financial generosity. Each of these are outward and measurable signs of an inward and spiritual grace working within your life and within mine. These are signs of the Holy Spirit at work within us and through us. Better numbers indicate better vitality and partnership with God's grace, right? The church has always done that. Dating back all the way to the first century, Luke writes in the book of Acts. They added to their numbers by 3,000 that day. They shared all their possessions in, in common, and even those like Ananias and Sapphira who withheld uh, some to see how things would work out, if it would be suitable or not, they were struck dead. Yikes. Luke's point in Acts and Luke's point in his gospel is that discipleship will cost us something. And the currency we are willing to pay is a wide variety. We have to decide what that currency will be. Uh, The title of today's heading of this section of Scripture, The Cost of Discipleship, was... Also, the title of a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, every minister I know who has experienced a transformative call in his or her life has read The Call, uh, The um, Cost of Discipleship. And he offers several lines that we liked to quote as frequently as possible. Only he who is obedient believes. Only he who believes is obedient. When Christ calls someone, he bids that person to come in to die and then he spends significant time distinguishing between cheap grace and costly grace. Do you know the difference? Have you read this? Cheap grace is a deadly enemy to the church. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without Personal confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without a cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate, but costly grace. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again. And again and again, it must be asked for. It's the door on which we persistently knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs us our life, and it is grace because it gives us back our one true life. Isn't that great writing and theology? Discipleship, Bonhoeffer says, is not an offer that we make to Christ but one that Christ makes to us because grace is free, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus his life and it demands our life in return. Discipleship is costly because it costs us our life, but it's grace because it gives us back our true life. What price are we willing to pay to partner with that kind of transformative grace Maybe a better question, what's the cost if we do not do the hard work of discipleship, of partnering with God's grace? What's at stake? Jesus is walking with a crowd to Jerusalem. You heard that, he's on his way, just meandering along the road, and some scholars, like Fred Craddock, who uh, taught so long at Emory, he asked several questions. Why was this crowd following Jesus? Was this a funeral procession? (laughs) Was this some kind of social march? Rural versus urban, peasants versus power, establishment versus Jesus, Jews versus Greeks, Jesus versus everyone, or maybe it's a parade. I mean, Jesus had already given out some free food and there was no cover charge for this thing. Everyone loves a parade, so the crowd swells. But all that is cheap grace. Jesus comes along and he stops the crowd in their tracks to bring costly grace. And Luke records these words, maybe they're hyperbole, maybe they're intended for shock value, or maybe Jesus is is really honing in on the costliness because he stops the crowd and he makes this weird statement, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, brother and sister, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Now, Of all the days we wish children had gone to children's church, right? That's a tough one. That's a Jewish way of saying whomever does not detach oneself, whomever is not willing to detach oneself from that which is the greatest possession, nuclear family, one's own self. It's not like a call to go and tell one's parents and siblings, hey, I'm following Jesus. By the way, I hate you. That's not what Jesus is saying, okay? Different culture of context. And to hate one's own life, it's not a matter of, of such kind of deprecation and abasement that it's harmful to one's mental health or even to one's body. It's, a, it's this notion of shedding loyalty, shedding those things which would impede the creation of this new community. That's the core of the cost of discipleship. It will require a dying and a rising, a dividing, really, division, to cast aside that to which we cling so tightly for the sake of unity among the community. And unity is hard work, and it's costly, and it's worth it. That's the cost of discipleship. This new family that Christ is forming, that that Easter gives us, the one about which Luke writes... So often, and we have to decide is this new community worth the cost to us? That's what Jesus is asking. And you'll remember last week he told this parable about the great banquet. It's this story of reversals, this story of, of undoing that there are no assigned seats, there are no assigned places to kneel, there's just space for anyone who wants to come to the table. There are no Uh, master guest list, everyone's name is is on that list. I just wonder how many skeptics were walking along the path that day and And they thought they heard him say, before you become my disciple, be sure you are ready to follow the way of the cross. Be sure that you're ready to follow where this cross leads, counting all the costs of following Jesus, which surely is is going to land us all in hot water with our friends and our family and our politics and our religion and maybe our families and, and so many other things. But it's dividing us from all those things which impede Unity in the spirit of the bond of peace, as Paul would say. I wonder how many of us think we're walking that pathway now. And have we calculated the cost of following Jesus fully? Give up something. What do you mean, Lord? Well, we say it in our baptism. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil powers of this world. Will you resist Injustice and oppression in whatever forms they resist themselves. Those are the measurables. Those are the way of shedding the old for the sake of the new. We say, will you be loyal with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? And we have so many new members coming into the life of this church. We hear it so frequently, it's easy to gloss over that. But that's currency toward the cost of discipleship. How many of us are praying present as as best and as often as we can be how many of us are all in with our gifts and our service and our witness and inviting people to church and you're doing it and the growth the crowd is growing (laughs) as it was for those who were following Jesus that day Jesus is teaching us today that we would do well to count the costs before committing to anything kind of like a building project as he said We know a thing or two about that, having just come through our impact renovations. Uh, A few short years ago, it seems like an eternity now, amen, a few short years ago, leaders sat down and began dreaming about the next steps that we would take, and the result was this largest renovation impact project in the history of, of our church. Estimates were made for a children's building and this magnificent organ and choir room and fellowship hall and all of these things. And because of you, we over that initial estimation, thanks be to God. Then we sat down and began dreaming with user groups alongside that initial proposal and the end result through a pandemic, through it all, God is faithful and, and here we are. Uh, the refrain that I heard like a musical score throughout that whole process was, Jay, everything costs more and it takes longer than expected. Right? We still have some impact gaps to to fill, I encourage you to be faithful to those, but it's reminded me of something. Renovating always costs more and takes longer than expected. What is true of a building project, says Jesus, is true of a building project in our hearts, related to deconstructing and reconstructing, related to discipleship, renovating one's heart is a partnership with the Spirit that will lead to a new identity, a new kind of membership card, a new uh, kind of community, one where Paul says there is no East nor West, nor slave nor free, no Jew, nor Greek, nor male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reality is there's no way around it, the way of the cross. There's no detours for following Jesus. Loving God and loving neighbor will cost us to turn our lives upside down by allowing the Spirit to transform us from the inside out. We are called to calculate our time and our talents and our treasures as currency. I grew up singing some very memorable altar call hymns. Y'all know about those? You know, like, just as I am on loop until somebody makes eye contact with a preacher, you know, those kind of, those kind of hymns. Well, someone came along and, and decided to put some of these hymns in a in, uh, uh, current state of Protestantism in America, and so they re-titled uh, some of them. One was In Christ for the most part. Uh, one was Be Thou My Buddy, not Be Thou My Vision. One was uh, How Great I Art, you know. Well, I grew up one singing I Surrender All, And someone rewrote the lyrics to that hymn, saying, some to Jesus I surrender, some to Him I freely give. I will sometimes love and trust Him in His presence, sometimes live. I surrender some, I surrender some, some to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender some, but it's supposed to be all. We will surrender some. We're called to surrender all, and certainly not until giving and following Jesus makes us uncomfortable, because God surely wouldn't ask that of us, right, to be uncomfortable. That is, only if we can part with that which possesses us can we become a disciple. I recently read a true story about a preacher who was standing at the back like we do and at the doorways at the end of worship service, and the preacher was shaking hands, and a man I uh, walked out and, and the preacher said, you need to join the army of the Lord, my brother. The man said, I'm already in the army of the Lord, preacher. The preacher said, well, how come I don't see you except on Christmas and Easter? And he said, well, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's exactly how it works. Commitment and persistence, discipline are words that can very quickly become cultural pigeons if we do not practice them persistently. I had a football coach that said, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. I don't know if that's real or not. I know spiritual atrophy is real. I know we must keep moving forward together. I know that I think about costly discipleship in this way that the best athletes in the world, who are English premier soccer players, by the way, they sacrifice it all. No cheeseburgers, no Diet Cokes, no alcohol, no compromising sleep. They do, they eat, they, they do whatever they're told, when they're told, as they are told for that one single moment of just pure glory that only the beautiful game can bring. I know musicians, even prodigies, they don't sit down at a performance and scores of music just kind of magically happen. That's not always how it works. Um, I think about my wife, Susan, when she was working on her master's degree in vocal performance at the University of Alabama. She spent hours and hours and hours in these rehearsal rooms, and these soundproof booths, working on music in foreign languages. Uh, and when she got home and the girls were, were tucked away in bed, she would stay up late at night pecking away uh, at notes on the piano for musical theory class before getting a couple of hours sleep and driving back to Tuscaloosa. She weighed the cost and paid the cost to be the best that she possibly could at her craft. I know when couples decide to begin a family, they sit down and they calculate the cost of bringing a child into this world. And for the record, no one can ever really afford a child. Amen? What amounts of salary do we need? How much will diapers cost? Formula has been in high demand. Should I just wait until formula uh, assembly lines are back up and running? What will that cost? What about college in 18 years? No one can afford that either. The, you know, Will we be prepared? Great parenting requires high commitment, a sacrificial cost to oneself because we give up ourselves for the sake of this, this new life, this new thing that has been born into our worlds over which we are responsible. And so we give up things, I don't know, sleep for one, and hobbies and trips and because we have this new birth in our hands. And I thought about the church after Easter and after Pentecost and every little Easter since that we call Sunday worship and why we bristle when Jesus stops us in our pathways to proclaim that following him is like taking on this new birth of responsibility and it requires some sacrifice. What is it costing us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You are all in and I am grateful for that. You are taking steps into the future for our children and for our students. You are weighing those costs and saying, it's not too high, it's not too hard. We'll get through this together. But what is the currency? That's what I want us to think about as we come forward now, because we're thinking about a a cost for all of humanity that was paid. And the least we can do is, is present ourselves as open to what God might be wanting to do as something new continues to be born in this world. What is our currency of time and of energy and of focus and of vocation and of finances because it's not a part-time role because the cross was not a part-time gig for Jesus Jesus is calling people inviting people who want to change the world by changing their own lives and that can begin today may it be so as we come forward amen